Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. This is episode 200. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is the co-founder of The Beauty Brains, who's been with you all the way from episode number one, Perry Romanowski. Hello, Valerie. Hello, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to be answering your beauty concerns about allergies and fragrance-free products, living-proof hair care, is it worth it, the deal with no BS skincare, and magnesium for cleaning your clothes. Well, Perry, congratulations. Episode number 200. I know we've only been with each other for about 40 episodes by now. That's Maybe right. More. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I, I have to say thank you to you for inspiring me to keeping the show going. Uh, Randy and I had had done a number of shows together, yeah, 100, and 100 plus, uh, but then he decided to kind of retire and uh, the, the Beauty Brains was in... Uh, you know, kind of in limbo. And then I talked to you about it and you were, you were game for getting back on. And so really it's a thank you to you to uh, get us to this 200th episode. And I think uh, you have actually brought a a new perspective to the show, which was kind of lacking in the past. And that is... You mean I actually use products? (laughs) Use products too. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, no, I I barely use products. To tell you the truth, I am... I am a terrible beauty consumer, although I don't think I'm much different than most guys, and it always amuses me when I see people saying the men's cosmetic market is going to take off just just yeah. next year or something. It's, it's never taking off. Yeah. Well, no, I'm really glad to be a part of the show. I am glad that you enjoy uh, being with me, and here's to 100 more episodes. Absolutely. Maybe I'll have some, uh, maybe I'll I'll do some sort of uh, retrospective in the editing of this or maybe in a future episode. I don't know. If you want to hear our old shows, go listen to the old shows. You know, I can do, I can, I can play the song that I played, I think at our 44th episode, but uh, maybe I'll tack that at the end of the show. Yeah, that'd be fun. Well, one thing that has been new since we did revamp the Beauty Brains is we added an Instagram account and I believe this week you went on and did something new. That's right. Well, I think it's worth talking about our social media accounts in general. Um, we have social media, and we say it at the end all the time. We got Facebook, we have Instagram, and we have uh, the other one, Twitter. Um, and for the most part, I've only been active on Twitter. I'm pretty much the only one who does Twitter. And, you know, the Beauty Brains, we haven't been terribly active on Twitter, although I, I like to I like to have conversations there every so often, and when I see people chatting at us, we, we do. Uh, and on Facebook, we haven't had a lot on Facebook, although people do submit questions on Facebook, and so that's kind of where that is. Yeah, I'm not really on Facebook either, but the one I am on is Instagram, which uh, as of recently, I've taken over managing. Exactly. Like Instagram, uh, we had somebody else working on that, but now it's uh, primarily Valerie does Instagram, but every so often I will... I will uh, post a little picture myself in there just when I get uh, interested. But it's either you or I doing it. And one of the most recent ones that I did is I I started this one project kind of where I I call it Change My Mind. I I saw some other uh, thing on Reddit called Change My Mind, which I or Change My View, which I always really kind of like because it it challenges you to put up something that you believe and challenge 
the, your audience to change your mind about it. And I like to believe that as the beauty brains, we are open to changing our mind. Now, our minds are changed by scientific evidence. Uh, but, you know, if, if uh, like on the topic I put up, I put up the topic of parabens. And I said, parabens are perfectly safe to use in cosmetics. Change my mind. And there is evidence that if you could pr provide evidence that you could change my mind about it. It's just that nobody really provides that evidence. And I'm unaware of any evidence that says parabens are unsafe to use in cosmetics. Yeah, well, I think that's a really fun uh, thing for our audience to get engaged in the scientific community and not only provide information if they have it, but ask questions and gain more insight. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that sometimes people expect us as the beauty brains to be the the gatekeepers of all knowledge. And the, the reality is like you and I are cosmetic chemists and we have our perspectives on the science that goes into beauty products and we know more in some areas than we know in other areas and it's very difficult to know everything about all cosmetics and so it's not unreasonable to think that there is some science out there that we're unfamiliar with that are is applicable to cosmetics and so if there is information there that uh, we're lacking I, i'd love to hear about it yeah and just so you guys know who's posting we are going to start uh, signing each Instagram post with a little chemist emoji. That was the cutest thing I could come up with, which I typically do anyway when I uh, answer questions or comments, but we'll both start doing it so you know who's making the post because sometimes we have differing views. We don't always think the same thing, Perry and I. Um, or two, I think it's just important you know who's talking to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I'm still looking for information. If you uh, want to change my mind about parabens, I haven't seen any good info yet that says they're unsafe in cosmetics. There are a lot of uh, fear mongers out there and uh, groups like that will insinuate that there's a problem with it. And I know it's a big marketing position, but as far as uh, toxicologists go and the best scientific organizations, everybody says that uh, the data shows parabens as used as preservatives in cosmetics are perfectly safe to use. Well, watch out, everyone. I'm, I'm going to troll Perry after this episode on Instagram, so be sure to read all the way on that post. Yeah, and <laughs> the, other, the other thing I'd like to say about social media is I believe I believe in the no asshole rule, and so even if we disagree, let's everybody try to be nice. Yeah, I think that's a good rule of thumb. Well, let's get to our beauty news. What'd you read about this week, Perry? I was reading through the the trades, and I saw something in uh, in uh, Happy, uh, one of my favorite uh, industry magazines. But they said they announced the launch of a skincare in the dairy aisle product. Ooh! <laughs> yeah, the cottage cheese maker Good Culture has launched. Uh, they've kind of latched onto the beauty from within trend, and they launched a new product called Gut Check, which is supposed to be a probiotic that is supposed to make your skin and hair stronger and nails too they included in their uh, vanilla like vanilla flavored cottage cheese mm. actually, <laughs> I, actually I, sorry that I, is I, gross i actually think it's uh, i think it's a smoothie yogurt that they're okay they <laughs> but they are a cottage cheese country uh company uh anyway it has vanilla and they have collagen in there yum uh and the company says it's all about you know, strengthening hair, nails, and skin. You know, in a previous episode, I think it was just two episodes ago, we talked about collagen supplements. Uh, actually, that was last week, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was last week. Wow, the shows all run together, all 200 of them. <laughs> but last week we talked about that and, you know, pretty much saw that the evidence for that actually having an effect on your skin is pretty limited. And now this is getting even more specific about it being for skin hair and nails and drinking it through yogurt. Ah, boy, um, you know, it's the, the, it, the evidence for that is even less limited. Uh, but, you know, it's an idea that's out there in the popular consciousness, so I can see why a company like this would launch a product like that. Uh, Beauty from Within is on trend, and they're just trying to uh, tap into that. Well, I think it's interesting that they're already working in a segment that they're pretty familiar with, which is dairy. At first, I thought you were going to say they made a cottage cheese mask, which I would love to see that look on Instagram. Talk about <laughs> really ugly <laughs> Indeed. face mask, gross. But... Uh, I think it's kind of neat. I mean, I think people who are taking these uh, probiotic smoothies are looking for something anyway. So while while it may be, uh, you know, hype or whatnot, we'll get into that. I think it's a pretty interesting leap. I haven't seen that in my dairy section personally. Yeah, it's a whole new outlet for uh, the cosmetics, I guess. Now, the thing about food products or supplements uh, is, you know, you don't have to prove claims the same way that you would in cosmetics. So to make a claim like a, a food is strengthening hair, skin, and nails, um, you don't really have to have a scientific study. Food by itself is, of course, going to be good for you, and food is responsible for nails and hair and growth because without food, you die, right? So in that way, you could always make the paper claim that oh, if you eat this, it's going to strengthen hair or skin. Now, whether you're going to notice any measurable difference, uh, that's just not proven. And I don't even think that's what they're claiming. They're just saying this is good for you if you eat it. And since it's not going to poison you, I guess it's good for you, right? That's a one way of looking at it. One of my favorite sites that I look at uh, for, this is more like health claims, but there's a, a site called Science-Based Medicine. And I was curious about probiotics and food and the evidence behind there. And, you know, this is what they had to say as a summary about the evidence for probiotics. And they essentially they said, quotes, if you are a normal human with a normal diet, save your money probiotics have nothing to offer but an increased cost. So they certainly weren't impressed with the scientific information available to support the notion that probiotics are going to give you better hair, skin, nails, or even health. Yeah, well, look at that. Watch out for it in your dairy aisle. <laughs> but if you like that sort of thing, you know, try it yeah, out. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Well, I uh, did come across an article also in Happy that Tom's of Maine, the toothpaste company, launched a first-of-its-kind toothpaste tube that is completely recyclable. It's designed to be compatible with the number two HDPE plastic stream. Tom's of Maine, they are owned by Colgate, I believe now, right? Correct. I believe they were bought out by a larger company. I don't know if it's Colgate, but I do know that they were bought by a bigger corporation. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Colgate. They were bought just before uh, Burt's Bees was bought by a big company. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I remember the two being close together. Well, I think this is pretty good news. I know uh, sustainability and plastic and recycling are all coming into our news feeds, whether you're reading a newspaper, a magazine, Twitter, Instagram, Yahoo News, 
whatever uh, you're seeing these topics come onto your screen, it's a pretty big deal right now. And a lot of what's coming up is that a lot of the recycling infrastructure just isn't in place. So even if you're recycling, it's just ending up in the trash. A lot of big cities in the United States and around the world aren't even recycling a lot of things, either because of uh, contamination, most people aren't recycling correctly, or um, for other reasons. And I, th- I still think it's pretty cool uh, that Tom Savina is doing this because toothpaste tubes historically have not made it through a recycling stream and not necessarily just because of lack of infrastructure, but toothpaste tubes are typically made of mixed materials and it's very difficult to recycle uh, mixed materials. It can either be mixed, mixed plastic or a type of tube we call aluminum barrier laminate, ABL, where it's literally a sheet of aluminum surrounded by plastic to provide some rigidity and some oxygen proofness uh, to the tube. And you couldn't recycle those um, in the past, meaning the product 100% goes to landfill. Um, but according to Happy Magazine, the number two plastic stream continues to be a really strong recycling stream. And it actually, number two plastic is used in a lot of those really big laundry bottles as well. So there, there I think, tends to be a use for it. And if there's a use, the recycling stream tends to work. And the new tube is actually marked. Um, that's another challenge in the MRF sorting facilities. They have to be able to see this toothpaste tube and know that it's recyclable actually has something written on it. So whether or not it actually makes it through there, or maybe Tom's of Maine has a TerraCycle recycling type program, I don't know, but they did want to design this tube to have a circular waste stream so that the material can be reprocessed into new products and packaging. Yeah, it sounds very laudable. I wonder though, um, the Tom's of Bain portion of their business cannot be bigger than, say, Colgate, right? So why wouldn't they roll this out with Colgate? I guess it probably fits from a marketing standpoint. It probably fits better with the naturalness of Tom's of Maine. But when you're talking about impact on society, uh, it seems like a bigger brand uh, might have more of an impact. Maybe Colgate will roll out. It just really depends how the parent company is managing uh, their brand. I know some large companies come in and, and grow through acquisition. And, you know, Unilever, I know, is known as Unicleaver uh, because they're <laughs> typically, I'm sure you've heard that, famous for just uh, really destroying companies and breaking them apart. Uh, whereas other companies like Estee Lauder, let's say, uh, pretty much lets their acquisitions operate as they were. That's what made them successful before. So Yeah, well, Unilever did come into Chicago and buy up Helen Curtis and got rid of them. And then they bought in my old company, Alberta Culver, and took them away too. So I guess they do kind of do that, don't they? Yeah. So we'll see. And I think too, as these types of recycling tubes become more feasible and become more mainstream and, you know, you can afford to implement them at the price point your product is in, I think uh, we'll continue to grow. Consumers are definitely asking for this. And one thing I did think was interesting when I was looking at the tube graphic was that it actually recommends to leave the cap on. And so um, I'm wondering if they're made of the same material, which is also pretty cool. Typically, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Well, we need to do something here in Chicago. Nobody recycles anything here. Yeah, it's tough. We have a terrible recycling program. And I think maybe, I think I saw like 8% of our garbage is actually recycled. 
Well, that's that's really low. And I think as generational shift occurs, uh, we'll see some changes in that. But in order for uh, something to be recycled, there has to be value in the end stream. Um, one thing that we started doing in my lab is we started recycling our gloves that we wear. We wear gloves when we make batches or handle raw materials so that uh, you can protect yourself. Hmm. And uh, typically these nitrile gloves have not been recyclable, but the glove manufacturer actually says, hey, you know what, we give you this waste, we need to take it back. And they actually take it back and repurpose it into, repurpose the the material into lawn furniture, resin for lawn furniture. Well, I think it's a great, great use of a a non, typically non-recycled product. Yeah. Well, let's get to some beauty questions. Guess the first question we'll start out with an audio question. Let me cue that right up now. Hey, Beauty Brains. My name is Karen, and I have a question or really a request. Having allergies and sensitivities, I've had to keep informed on skincare and cosmetics, but I always learn something from you and enjoy your honesty and your delivery. Now, there are excellent products that work well and don't irritate my skin, except for shampoo and conditioner. Hair products from drugstore to high-end, and I have tried them all, are full of fragrance. Sometimes they actually make my skin crawl. A few lines do offer fragrance-free hair products, but they're usually not rich enough for dry or color-treated hair. I think there's a great market opportunity for a company to make them. I'm sure many consumers like me are tired of seeing their money go down the drain. I appreciate your comments and hope uh, to hear you answer this on the air. Thank you so much. What are our thoughts on this one? Thanks so much for that question, Karen. You are right. Uh, There aren't a lot of great shampoos that are without fragrance. Uh, And in fact, I was looking at the, the top 10 shampoo brands uh, and this is brands like Pantene and Dove and Tresemme and Fructus. And and none of those brands have a fragrance-free version. Uh, I I wonder why that is. <laughs> do, you, do you know why that might be, Valerie? Well, if the rest of the marketing companies in the world are like the one I work with, uh, marketing people really love fragrance. They love things to smell really beautiful. The shower is a great place to use a product and have the fragrance bloom and morph into all of its characteristics that it should have. And when you use a fragrance-free product, obviously you don't get that experience, that really sensual aromatherapy and, and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And two, I don't think people tend to like the way products smell without fragrance. Like they just have a, usually have like a generic base smell. I actually really enjoy that smell. It's comforting to me. It just reminds me of making something that I really enjoy making. Yeah. It reminds me of like crayons, like when I was growing up and you're coloring because it smells kind of waxy like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoy it. And I really love the smell of surfactants. I think they smell really good too, but most marketing people don't like them and they want to take advantage of that that experience in the shower. Well, I have to say you're pointing you're putting on the marketing people. I think what it's really more reflective of though is uh, consumers and what consumers purchase. 
And I think the reality is, is if there was a big demand for consumers that wanted fragrance-free versions of products, there would be fragrance-free versions. I think people are, you know, like in a big company, Procter & Gamble or Unilever, they're going to do focus groups and they're going to test uh, whatever brand they, whatever new formula they're putting out there, they're going to have consumers testing and have them smelling things. And I, I could perfectly believe that a small percentage of people say that they like the unfragranced version, even though I, I think people get the advice that they should avoid fragrances, that they get that from a lot of places. And in their brains, they want to avoid fragrances, but I don't think their purchasing activities are the type where they actually do avoid fragrances. No, I mean, but maybe there's a small market opportunity. I, I think so, and uh, Karen is a is a perfect example of that. Uh, she's got allergies to fragrances, and the products on the market right now aren't satisfying her. And uh, that did make me look at, uh, I went to, since I couldn't find a, a fragrance-free version of some of the mainstream shampoos, I did look up fragrance-free versions, and you know, I found I found a lot of natural and organic types of shampoos and, and conditioners that were touted as fragrance-free. And the problem with those products is that they, you know, everyone wants to say I'm fragrance-free and I'm sulfate-free. And so now you're not using the best performing uh, surfactants. And so a lot of those formulas, uh, it's, it's understandable to me uh, that they wouldn't be good performing products because they're avoiding they're avoiding the good uh, surfactants that make a shampoo work and feel good or like a regular shampoo. Uh, for example, Jason has a fragrance-free shampoo, and I looked at that, and, you know, it has the desoglucosides, and, you know, generally that's, that's not a great surfactant for shampoos, in my estimation. It's my opinion, but um, there are, I'm sure there are plenty of people that like desoglucoside as a surfactant for shampoo. I just don't. Ugh, I hate it too. It's one of my least favorite surfactants. I think they tend to uh, be really sticky to the hair. They're ho it's horrible for fine hair. If you have fine hair, I highly recommend avoiding any glucoside in general. And it doesn't foam that well, I've found. You know, I, don't, no. I don't think it foams that well. Now, so I was looking at some of these ones. So, so there's those natural and organic ones, and they all avoid that. And so, yeah, stay away from those. But you might try Paula's Choice had one. Uh, where their formula had a uh, ammonium lauryl sulfate cocomidal propyl betaine uh, blend, and it was fragrance-free. And uh, they called it a shampoo and body wash. And uh, I think if you try that one, that one might perform as you might expect other shampoos to perform. It might perform more in line just because it's more it's formulated more like that. Of course, uh, they also have a few frivolous ingredients in there, like their uh, aloe and soy proteins, which are just going to get rinsed down the drain when they're in the shampoo system. But you know, uh, you can avoid. <laughs> you can once you get past that, you know, you might like the performance of that one. There was another one called Aquaphor, uh, which has desoglucoside. You know, but you know, like I said, I I'm not a big fan of that one. It also had cocomidopropyl betaine in there, so maybe it performed a little better. But uh, those are really the the two that I saw that you might like, but I'm very, I'm very much surprised. Like some of the really big brands don't have just a fragrance-free skew. It, it would make sense that there would be one. Yeah. Well, also, I think it's very important to note that for these other brands that are selling fragrance-free products, 
you have to be careful with what else you put in there because often people are sensitive to the fragrances because of all the small components in there, but also the allergens that are present. And botanical extracts can also have allergens present. I know a lot of people may use um, these components that have an intrinsic smell, like maybe an orange extract. And they're saying, well, I'm not adding fragrance, but I'm adding this orange extract to it. And the product is scented anyway. So it's it's really important to understand why fragrance-free is a desire for some people and to make sure that you're not just hurting that with any other thing that you're adding to it. The other thing is there's a big difference between fragrance-free and unscented. They're not synonymous. Fragrance-free means that there's no typically like any fragrance materials or masking fragrances. So if there's like a a mal odor to a product, sometimes conditioners can smell a little fishy. You might use a masking agent in the product. Um, you can't put that in a fragrance-free product because those are typically fragrances that neutralize the mal odor. And if you have an unscented product, it just means there's no um, particular perfume or odor to it, but it could still contain a neutralizing or masking agents, which uh, can be sensitizing as well. Right. It could say unscented, and then there was a fragrance in there that kind of offsets the scent. It's like one of those Bose headphones that cancel out the sound, but these cancel out the fragrance. <laughs> That's a, actually a really good analogy. <laughs> yeah. There you, there you go. Speaking of analogies, why don't we move on to the second question? Yeah. So our next question comes from Instagram. Hello, Perry and Valerie, the beauty brains. Yes, that's us. I really enjoy your podcast. Thank you for all you do to keep me and all of your listeners informed. I was wondering whether you could do a review of the hair care brand Living Proof. I currently use their color care line and I like it, but all of their products are so pricey. Do any of their claims justify the expense? They are now owned by Unilever and I'm wondering whether or not there's a less expensive Unilever option or any other brand you could compare Living Proof products to. To add to the above, can you comment on whether colored or highlighted hair needs special products at all? Thanks again, Thais. Wait a second. When did Unilever buy Living Proof? In 2016, and the acquisition fully happened in 2017, quarter one. Wow, I I totally missed that. Well, Yeah, Jennifer Aniston uh, invested in them for a while, and then she got out, and then Unilever bought them. Yeah. Go figure. Well, yeah. (laughs) Well, what's (laughs) interesting is we talked earlier, like, why is Tom's Bain doing this, but not Colgate? And Living Proof, I think, is one brand Unilever has purchased, and they're kind of not messing with it. They're leaving it alone. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, At least for the moment, I guess. At least for the moment. So according to Living Proof, they were started several years ago when their team of scientists and stylists analyzed hundreds of competitive products that have been in the market for the past 30 years. And they found that the traditional beauty industry relies on heavy silicones to mask hair symptoms, but doesn't really solve them. Wah, wah. Oh boy. Yeah. So they're going to solve them, huh? They're going to solve it. So they created three, well, they have, th- they have three hair molecules. I won't say they created three hair molecules, but they started b- out by creating OFPMA, octafluoropentyl methacrylate, known as their healthy hair molecule. They created this. They really did invent it. I know somebody who's an inventor on the patent. Uh, they created this weightless invisible shield that repels dirt and oil to keep hair cleaner longer and also resists humidity to eliminate frizz. 
I got all this information from Living Proof website. By the way, I didn't write my own synopsis on this. Of course, So they actually created this molecule. It was in the first launch of their core products. And then they added two other molecules to their portfolio. They did not mention that they created them. They just sort of like talked about like, oh, we have them. And these two molecules are actually um, existing chemistries that a lot of us have access to. And I know that because their third molecule that I'll talk about um, a colleague and I had actually looked at and uh, realized that Living Proof had patented this uh, molecule. So anyway, their second molecule is the thickening molecule, PBAE, creates revivable body that lasts up to five times longer on even the finest hair without stiff, sticky results. And the third molecule is their volumizing and texturizing molecule, ETAS, delivers bigger, longer-lasting volume without weighing the hair down. Yeah, it sounds like they have some actual different technology uh, that you know a, a lot of hair brands aren't using or they don't have whether that technology actually shows uh, uh, additional benefit uh, that's that remains to be seen yeah so they actually do have uh, a great intellectual property strategy I'll get into that later so the things that they do have they have patented whether they created them or they just added them to their portfolio. And the claims they make on them are really just kind of like any other existing marketing claim. So at the end of the day, if they were challenged by consumers, they would still have to show how their claims were substantiated. So when they talk about a revivable body that lasts up to five times longer, and they're showing a model who on one side of the hair didn't have any product, and then on the other side of the hair, they uh, put the product yeah, did the product do something? Sure, but it, it did something against nothing. So to me, all of the claims they make are just like any other um, company. So as we did mention, um, Unilever did purchase Living Proof in 2016. The deal closed in 2017. And I'm not really sure that Unilever will divest the Living Proof technology into other brands it really depends on how Unilever wants to manage the company. So the molecules that Living Proof has come to fame for their OFPMA molecule and the other two molecules they've patented. That's actually part of their intellectual property. And they have a very strong intellectual property strategy. So if Unilever were to take that technology and put it into other brands within their portfolio, that just sort of dilutes what Living Proof has and to me makes it less valuable. Now, I don't work for Unilever. I'm not affiliated with them. I can't speak if they would do that, but that's sort of my sentiment about whether or not Unilever is going to create something else using the Living Proof technology. Well, I, I know one thing they're not going to do is uh, tap into the Living Proof marketing strategy because they're all about uh, why sulfates are terrible for your hair and why we're not going to use silicones, which uh, is the backbone of a lot of Unilever's shampoo <laughs> technology. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know how it, they. How do you? How do you have one of your brands saying sulfates are terrible, silicones are terrible, uh, but try this product out? It seems like a strange, uh, strange mix there. Yeah, and a- another point you make, Perry, is that they do have sort of this mass portfolio, and then they have Living Proof. So compared to the rest of the Unilever brand. Living Proof is really expensive, and I have not found their shampoos or conditioners to be worth anything special. Well, their conditioners, their conditioners is acetyl alcohol and behintramonium chloride, and that's and they say that they're silicone free. So okay, so yeah, to to me, and again, I've used a ton of Living Proof. I've used them since the day they launched. 
I love a lot of their products. I don't think the shampoos and conditioners are anything special. Mm -hmm. I actually like to use their styling products because the molecules that they have within their portfolio, all of those molecules work through being left on the hair. So it sort of makes sense why the shampoos and conditioners, if they worked because of the molecule, they, you know, if you're rinsing it off the hair, probably not anything special going on. But I do like to use the styling products because I think uh, they do work really well. They're really nice. And I do find that a little does go a long way. So you actually don't need to use a ton. And that makes the product last a little bit longer too. So I can justify the styling product price, the shampoo and conditioner. I have used them. The color care isn't my favorite, uh, but I think if you're going to spend that kind of money on a shampoo and conditioner, I I would probably go to um, another brand. Now regarding the color care, uh, one of the questions that was asked was about um, does colored hair or highlighted hair need anything special? And I I do just want to note the color care products that Living Proof has, they don't actually contain any of their three advertised molecules, unless it's the um, OFPMA, which I'm not sure how much it would contain. I didn't see on their website that it did contain it, but they, they don't make any claims or reference to it. It's just your average marketing claims for colored hair. So keep that in mind when you're buying it and using it. And also if you highlight or color your hair, you don't necessarily need special products, but it does in general help to have some good practices, like in general, limiting the amount of washing you do to your hair because washing your hair fades color just as much as sulfated shampoo. And uh, when you're washing your hair and styling your hair, you're also um, damaging it just from the water alone. So limit that and be sure to use products that aim to uh, be gentle or repair the hair because at the end of the day, you are incurring chemical damages from those services. And I think just about any product could take care of you in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you are curious to experiment with a less expensive version, See, uh, check out the Suave sulfate-free version. That that one might work just as well as their sulfate-free living proof. Yeah. All right, next question. Carissa says, there is a new line of beauty products called No BS Skincare, and I was wondering what your take is on this. They claim to only use ingredients that work and that are not harmful. It would be wonderful to hear your thoughts on these products, and a podcast on it would really make my day. Hopefully we can make your day. Thanks for your time and consideration. Have a great day. Well, thank you for that question. I had actually had never heard of the No BS skincare before this question. Had you heard of it, Valerie? I have heard of it because I've actually said I'm going to start a line of products called bullshit. And it's just like all the things that people think are bullshit, but actually do something in it. Um, So no, I have heard of it before. And uh, there's just one, um, there's a lot of things that I think first of all, but I, I just need to step on the soapbox for a second and, and talk about this. I hate when brands claim to only use ingredients that work. Because when I go to work every day, I'm like, what are the things I can add that don't work and I can pull on people? Who is saying that? (laughs) Yeah. Like marketing is so down my back about costing, you know, to make the most cost effective formula. And that's 
just how businesses work, right? You, they want to put out the best formula at the lowest price. Some companies want to put out the lowest price formula, regardless of performance. It's all about profit. So I'm not saying that marketing is evil, but even just as a chemist, I mean, I'm putting something in there because it has a purpose. Actually, you know, my first job when I got into the industry was as a cost savings chemist. And my job was to go in and look at all the formulas at Alberta Culver and find out how we could make them cheaper, which really meant how much water could I add to all the formulas and nobody noticed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it turns out you could add a little bit and people don't notice. Yeah. Uh, at least over time, that's the whole uh, Maxwell House it, method, right? It, it, exactly. Eventually, it's just water. You're like, hey, it performed better than the last one, but it sure doesn't <laughs> perform anymore. Yeah. Well, I looked at the no BS, and, and like you, I've, I've actually had this notion too. It's like, okay, let's do a no BS line. None of this marketing BS. Is, let's just make formulas that work great, and who cares what's in it? Let's just make something that works great. And so that's when I went to this website. I was, I was thinking I was going to see products like that. Uh, but the header banner <laughs> claim that they make is the FDA bans only 11 toxic ingredients. We've banned 1,500. <laughs> so Wow. I'd like to see their list. Do you think yeah, they'd send it to me? I, I, I don't know. I was wondering, what, what, uh, what are those 1,500? And then it also got me wondering, well, why have they only banned 1,500 ingredients? I mean, there are probably 300,000 chemicals out there, many of which would be toxic to people. Why haven't they banned that many? <laughs> like, for example, have they banned uranium or plutonium or, or arsenic? Maybe they banned arsenic. I don't know. But I doubt they banned uranium and plutonium. It's just silly to me. This is just kind of uh, fear marketing. Um, and I just find it disingenuous because, you know, those 1,500 ingredients, uh, nobody uses those ingredients anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, probably probably most of them. Maybe they've got 100 on there that people might use because they're probably banning sulfates or something like that. But there certainly aren't 1,500 toxic ingredients that are being regularly used in your cosmetic products. It's just not true. This is total fear-mongering. And I would also note that the FDA makes it illegal to sell unsafe cosmetic products. So it doesn't matter how many ingredients they banned, companies are not allowed to sell products that will harm people. And you have to prove that your products are safe uh, when you're selling them on the market. And so uh, this is just disingenuous right off the bat. So I'm inclined to not like the brand. Uh, even though I, I sort of can buy into the sentiment, let's let's get a brand out there that is no BS. Although you know what, so I'm looking at their products a little bit more, um, I noticed on their ingredient list that they have allergens, known allergens like limonene and linalool. Why wouldn't they have banned ingredients that they know are allergens? Yeah, well, I, I think they don't really think about them or what they are. They do mention that limonene is actually an antioxidant that limits the production of free radicals to present, <laughs> prevent cell damage. I'm, I'm, I'm reading that. Yeah, nobody's putting limonene in there to do that. That's, that's, that, that's that, not why and I said there. Furthermore, that's not how limonene right. works, first of all. Even with botanical extracts, I have to conduct peroxide testing for the limonene to see how reactive it is. It, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's just uh, they a, it's also just a mention. Compo- I'm sorry. It's just a component of fragrance. That's what limonene, that's why it's in there. 
And it's an allergen. That's yes. why it has and to be listed. Exactly. Linalool also has is added to their product. It's a non-active because it adds natural scent to products. Uh, another fragrance uh, ingredient and another allergen. I mean, you know these products are allergen. Why are not they on the banned list? I mean, if yeah, you're going to go with Yeah, I will say they that. do a good job of disseminating their ingredient listing. They did say uh, that they don't add anything that doesn't work in their ingredients. And they do prove that point by writing the function of every ingredient, even if it's dead wrong. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. On their, on their products. I will say they do a good job of that, but limonene is definitely not an antioxidant, limiting the production of free radicals to prevent cell damage. It's an allergen. Well, and I look at their no BS list. Uh, if you look at what's inside our products, they list out. Um, all these great ingredients, aloe, coconut oil, garden extract, um, pomegranate extract, rosehip oil, shea butter, like retinol, jojoba oil, green tea, cucumber extract. These natural ingredients are not the ones having the primary impact on the product. So they're as much BS as everybody else. Exactly. Okay, so that's just their marketing strategy. But let's look at another piece of their marketing, which is their product pricing. They have $50 for a one-ounce retinol cream. I, 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 I couldn't believe it. I was speechless. What? I mean, this line is really overpriced, if you ask me. I mean, uh, without there being anything special. I mean, if you want a retinol product, you can get the uh, a $4 retinol product from The Ordinary, which is a perfectly fine product. And based on the ingredient list, this is going to be every bit as good as the BS product. So the no BS is not in their ingredient choices. The no BS is not in their products pricing strategy. Um, Jeez, I, I, I have to. I look at their cleanser. Their cleanser is just aloe vera. It's not really doing anything from your skin, as it's just from a cleanser. Um, they have the cucumber extract, the green tea extract. All of these things are put in their cleanser, and they all just get washed away. Cleansers remove things from your skin, um, and so. Boy, I don't know how they support their whole notion of being no BS. I support that whole idea, and this brand just does not seem to live up to it, in my estimation. I, I have no comments on that. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying there. Um, I mean, I guess if, you know, to our fan base, if you are using the products and you like them and you don't mind the price point, go for it. I don't know that I would try them. Yeah. That, that is that is always the case. But so as far as uh, Carissa says, uh, those are my thoughts on the no BS skincare line. All right. Our last question is a quick one. We're almost running out of time for the show. It's not a beauty question, but we thought it would be fun to answer. Jas asks, there's a new detergent replacement in the market from Japan called TerraWash MG. It's magnesium enclosed in a package and supposedly can be used for 365 washes. I wonder if it's true and effective. Would appreciate your thoughts. Oh, it sounds like an interesting technology. Yeah, so it's actually uh, multiple brands sell products like this. I uh, even went online and saw that many people are making their own. Multiple brands, mostly from Japan, sell this technology. So basically, it is a pouch that is sealed, and inside are these pellets, allegedly 99.95% pure magnesium. And you throw it in your washer with your laundry, wash your clothes, and when you pull out the clothes to put them in the dryer, 
you remove the pouch and let it air dry and then you can use it again. It says that you can save time and money by using being able to use this pouch for 365 washes. That's one load of laundry per day. Well, I'm thinking if you're doing that much laundry, first of all, you're you're not saving a lot of time because <laughs> that is a lot of laundry. You could save a lot of time if you cut your washing down in half. But anyway, according to the supplier, how this product works, this was actually the science behind it. I'm not exaggerating here. The magnesium in the pellets reacts with your water to generate hydrogen gas and magnesium oxide. Wow. The magnesium oxide generates a high pH of your water, which allows the dissociation of magnesium hydroxide into magnesium and hydroxide ions to act like a surfactant by reducing the surface tension of water because of the alkaline pH. Interesting. Have you have you ever heard of hydroxide ions acting as a surfactant? No, that's a new one to me. Yeah, um, I, I thought that was a bit strange. I mean, I would not believe any of that. I, I'm a little skeptical of the science for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, magnesium, if there really are magnesium ions in your water, you're creating hard water. Yeah. And typically hard water, when it interacts with your clothing, if your clothing has oils and such on it, uh, they will react together to create an insoluble soap that right. is kind of like scum on your clothing and you yeah. won't be able to get it off. Magnesium, uh, once it soaps like that, it's it's very insoluble. It causes the ring around your tub or your sink. Exactly. And so I'm thinking like, well, how is that cleaning your clothing? I do know that when you uh, put a product like magnesium sulfate um, into water and interact it with your laundry or hair, again, it's not pure magnesium like this product is alleging, but it actually does allow some swelling of the hair fiber, which could be similar to like a textile fiber. And it does relax the, the fabric a little bit. And then if you think you have all this hot water and mechanical action of the clothing rubbing together, maybe that allows some items to come free into the water. I think I'm stretching a little bit there, but I am not satisfied that this could clean your clothes more than laundry detergent that you are buying from the store. Right. And how do they do 365 washes? <laughs> Is it like a, a little salt pellet that just slowly uh, dissolves over time? Yeah, okay. I, I'm not really sure. I kind of want to get one and like take it apart and analyze yeah. the contents. Um, so who knows what's really in the pouch? Um, at the end of the day, if you know, you're dead set on not using uh, modern day laundry cleanser systems that you can get at the store and you want to use these pellets... No harm, no foul. I wouldn't be surprised if your clothes look a little dingy over time because you're actually generating hard water when you're using um, using this product. So, and don't use it. Don't use it on your hair either. <laughs> do not use it on your hair, Jess. So I don't know if that answered your question. The best thing to do. It's not a lot of money. I would get it, try it out for yourself, and see if you like it. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, probably the case with most of the products that are on sale out there. Mm. 
So that's all we have time for today. I hope you guys enjoyed episode 200. Thank you for listening. Yeah, I look forward to another 200 episodes. Hey, if you get a chance, can you go over to iTunes and leave us a review? We love to read the reviews. And even Randy Schuler, the old Randy Schuler, keeps reading the reviews. So that's good. Um, anyway, that's going to help other people find the show and ensure that we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Hey, Perry, how'd I do on this episode considering I ate peppermint bark the whole time? You did a great job. I did not hear that. I didn't even hear your puppies clicking around. Oh, good. They were actually really quiet. So anyway, guys, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. You can also ask questions there. On Instagram, you can typically find me. We're at TheBeautyBrains2018. On Twitter, you can find Perry. He's at TheBeautyBrains. And we have a Facebook page where you may or may not find either of us. But we will find your questions if you put them up there. (laughs) Speaking of that, you can also record a question on your smartphone and then email it to us at thebeautybrains at gmail.com. We like to have those audio questions. And as a quick reminder, the Beauty Brains are now on Patreon. And if you want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do that. This is going to help the show, keep the show ad-free. You won't hear me hawking mattresses or food services. <laughs> um, and it's going to ha- also help prevent me from having to go back to corporate America and get one of those pesky jobs at a big beauty brand company. <laughs> so if you like what we do and you want us to keep doing it for another 200 episodes, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. You can also pay me on Venmo. My username is... I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, guys, thanks again for listening. Episode 200. Remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> never had a single lesson. Hey beauty fan, do you have trouble knowing when your hair is growing strong? Or why dry skin? Dry skin is such a bummer. Then you should listen to our song Brands Beauty Brands Telling lies Fooling me Fooling you The Beauty Brains Now there's felt so good real scientists we know everything we should but now you read other blogs and they just seem so phony the ads all sound like baloney So when you shop, and shopping gets confusing, don't forget that we told you true. Brands, trusted brands, telling lies, fooling me. Beauty brains. Now-
knowledge never felt so good Real scientists We know everything we should Love beauty brings Knowledge never felt so good Scientists, we know everything we should. Oh, the beauty brain.